It is Monday, April 25th, 2022. Welcome back to Pro Football Network's premier fantasy football podcast. I'm your host, BJ Rudell. With me, as always, is PFN fantasy analyst Jason Katz, better known as Katz. The NFL draft is three days away, first round at least. And so Katz and I are going to spend uh, about 25 minutes today talking about uh, running backs in the draft. Uh, what we think of some of the top running backs, and just as importantly for fantasy purposes, where they might go. Uh, a, a terrific running back going into a crowded backfield uh, might not fare as well as even a second-tier running back going into a perfect landing spot, at least when we're thinking about 2022. So landing spots are a critical component of this. Uh, we will speculate, but most importantly, we will try to help uh, with uh, evaluating potential values for these players, knowing that when they get drafted, a lot of you dynasty managers need to make quick decisions. And some of you who are drafting in May are going to want to know who's up, who's down coming out of the NFL draft. Katz, let's start with Brees Hall. Uh, what are your thoughts on him in terms of, is he the unquestioned number one in this draft? And as far as fantasy goes, where do you want to see him end up? Brees Hall is definitely the clear RB1 in this class. He is the only running back in this class that I am supremely confident will pan out and be a success at the NFL level and be fantasy relevant. Uh, I'm sure there will be more running backs in this class that matter in fantasy and in the NFL, but who they are, uh, that remains to be seen. For Brees Hall, very confident he will be somebody fantasy managers want, and he will be a starting running back in the NFL and a possible top two-round pick for years to come. Of course, how quickly he gets there will depend on his landing spot. As you alluded to before in your little opener there, uh, we've seen some of the best uh, running back prospects in recent memory, like Derrick Henry, get trapped behind DeMarco Murray for two years. And he didn't do anything until his until really his the second half of his third year in the NFL. Now, 2016, 2017, that was a long time ago. Those things are more of a thing of the past now. Most running backs now that are taken that highly or viewed that highly come in and produce right away. So with that said, I want Brees Hall on a team where he can produce right away, which means I want him somewhere without a clear, established starting running back. The problem is, most of these teams already have someone. Uh, Miami was a spot that needed a starting running back. Well, they went and signed Chase Edmonds and Raheem Mostert. Uh, there have been talks about uh, possibly maybe Atlanta drafting a running back, but they have a lot more problems than the running back position. They brought back Cordero Patterson, still have Mike Davis. I don't know if he'll end up there, but I would like to see him in Atlanta specifically because they're a team that's going to be rebuilding, if not this year, the next year. And Brees Hall, he is just 21 years old. Actually, he hasn't even turned 21 yet. He'll be 21 for this season. If he can land in Atlanta and get a young, talented quarterback as early as 2023, with that open depth chart at running back, he could be a three-down back possibly right away and emerge into a first-round fantasy pick as early as 2023. I like it. I, I know that we're going to be talking about teams. You know, you got the Giants with Saquon Barkley potentially on his way out, at least after this season. Uh, it's doubtful the Giants uh, keep him. They've been floating him this offseason. Uh, and then you've got Houston where Marlon Mack could take over. But Marlon Mack, as Katz, uh, you and I have talked about in a previous podcast, may or may not be the answer in Houston, maybe more likely not. It's important to note that that uh, and you mentioned three down back with Brees Hall. He caught 82 balls in three seasons um, in college, and that's a big deal. Um, uh, the the pass catching ability of running backs 
uh, often develops in the pros. Uh, you don't see a lot of bell cows uh, at the college level catching 20, 30, 30 plus catches in a season very often. Uh, it's happening a little bit more than it used to, but at the same time, uh, Hall is a complete back in that respect. And he can fit in very nicely, even in a team like Atlanta, where if they're playing from behind most games, uh, as we know, if you've got a guy who can catch 30, 40 balls, or in the case of a 17-game season uh, projected out, if Brees Hall he caught three balls a game in college his final year, um, that projects out really nicely to 51 receptions. You know, anything is possible, obviously, but the point is, this is a guy who could be a complete back first round draft pick, even in fantasy, if he goes in a perfect situation and he's, you know, the next uh, Najee Harris, where he's just getting, you know, tons of volume, even in a team that isn't always leading. Um, Cats, let's move on to uh, uh, Isaiah Spiller. Uh, what are your thoughts? Uh, some have him. Uh, pretty high up at number two, number three, some have lower. Do you have any thoughts on Spiller in terms of whether he can make an impact? Uh, he's a little bit on the slow side, uh, I believe, in terms of uh, a running back. Uh, that hasn't stopped some running backs from thriving, but it certainly is a knock on him. Is it too big a knock that I'm making, or is that a concern going into the draft? Uh, generally, for me, evaluation starts at the macro level. I want to get an over a 10,000 foot aerial view of what type of players, or in this case, running backs produce at the NFL level. And then we get smaller and smaller where we start to analyze then specific players. So you go, you start from big data, then you get down to the actual film of, of a player. Overall running backs that run slower than a four, six, five simply do not produce at the NFL level. Of course, there have been outliers. Arian Foster exists. One of the best running backs of the past 15 years, but he was the UDFA. He's an outlier. For every Arian Foster, there are 100 other guys with the same athleticism that don't pan out. Unfortunately, Isaiah Spiller falls in that bucket of guys who would have to be an outlier to succeed at the NFL level. He ran a 4.64 uh, 40-yard dash at his pro day, which we had to adjust to a 4.69 because pro day times are always a little bit faster. That puts his speed and burst scores uh, combined with his other metrics or other combine drills at the sub 30th percentile. This is somebody who tested very poorly. And despite being uh, an early declare, and he's a productive player at Texas A&M, he broke out in his 18 season, which we love to see. Uh, I'm concerned that Isaiah Spiller just isn't good enough to be an impact player at the NFL level. Of course, I root for all these players. I don't want to see anybody fail. Uh, but I, I fear that Spiller, as a result of his poor testing, is going to fall a little bit in the draft. And if he doesn't go until possibly the third round, that's going to impact his ability to, to be an impact player immediately. Where he might end up, there's a lot of places he could go at this point because the reality is, other than maybe one or two guys, whoever drafts any of these running backs is going to already have a starter. Like, like could Seattle draft a running back? I know they have Rashad Petting and Chris Carson, but, I mean, are, are they the answer? We don't know for sure. The Giants you mentioned, definitely going to be drafting a running back probably on day three, but they're going to draft one because – I, I'm, I'm in lockstep with you. Barkley's as good as gone next year. They're, they're not going to bring him back. And right now, they don't have a backup. They, they released Devontae Booker. They need someone else in general. Uh, but I do think they'll probably sign a more traditional satellite back as opposed to Spiller. And we look at someone like the Chiefs. Could they throw in the towel on Clyde Edwards-Hilaire? Probably not. Uh, is it possible that maybe the Jaguars are concerned about Travis Etienne and James Robinson's help and they draft somebody? There's just a lot of, a lot of teams that could surprise 
And we've seen over the years so many teams draft running backs that we look at that, we look at them and go, wait, why did they draft the running back? And then all of a sudden, a guy that we liked for, for the upcoming fantasy season now is facing all this competition. Uh, so I'm, I'm I'm worried about where Spiller will, will land, both for him and for the guy that he's going to end up uh, competing with for touches. One of the fascinating things about running backs, as we know, and all of you listening know this, is that their their time in the in the in the uh, limelight uh, is uh, is pretty brief, relatively speaking, to other positions. So you could be in a situation. Let's take the Lions. Uh, DeAndre Swift entering his third season. Uh, we think of DeAndre Swift as you know one season removed from a rookie year, but at the same time, he's also a guy who's been injured his first two seasons. He's got two more years left on the contract. Maybe they pick him up for, for an option. But the point is that the Lions happen to get, you know, another running back. Uh, people should not be surprised. We can't assume that Swift is just locked in for the next two years as a 225 touch back. If he plays a full, you know, season, doesn't get hurt. There could be someone else who comes in and just starts to compete because the Lions realize, well, we can't trust Swift to be the bell cow that we want him to be. And that's true for 20 other teams. Uh, you know, there's very few teams out there that have untouchable backfields at the top. Those that do have the bell cows that we know and love. Everyone else, you know, you never know what's going to hit. In fact, I was on the, uh, Katz, I was uh, telling you this right before we started the podcast. I was on uh, Pro Football Network's uh, mock draft simulator, uh, which people can check out. And, uh, and basically, you know, you can do trades, you can uh, pick your favorite team, you can basically be a GM in it, or you can just watch the process go and see who's going to end up at different spots according to PFN's algorithms, and they are updated constantly. And what was fascinating was uh, I saw Brees Hall uh, in this simulation go to the Vikings. Um, but the, the issue is, well, you know, could, could the Vikings, who seemingly have a stacked backfield in Dalvin Cook and Alexander Madison, but a year or two from now, is it going to be stacked? And the point is, some of these teams are going to be looking to draft somebody for not just this year, but for 2023 and 2024, because that's the way you have to look. Um, Cats, uh, uh, let's throw out a, a, another name at you. Uh, let's go Kenneth Walker. Uh, Kenneth Walker, we're going back to Speedy. And um, uh, clearly one of the top, I would say top three, uh, going into this uh, uh, draft. What do you what do you like about him? Where do you think he fits in as a potential fantasy asset uh, in uh, in leagues? I think one of the comps I have to give for Kenneth Walker, and maybe I'll take the heat from this. I don't know. Is is I'm not saying he's Nick Chubb, but he's that type of player where he is a running back. Emphasis on the running, and we know this because he only posted a 5.4 percent college target share. Uh, this is a prospect who in college just wasn't really used in the receiving game. He had, in his three years in college, two at Wake Forest, one at Michigan State, a grand total of 19 receptions. Now, I'm not saying that he can't catch passes. I, I do believe that almost every running back in the NFL is capable of being a competent receiver if they're given the volume. But the fact that he wasn't suggests that he won't be given that volume at the NFL level. And we want our running backs in fantasy to be able to catch passes. doesn't mean Walker can't go on to be a useful running back, it just means that his ceiling is lower because, it, because running backs cannot finish as the overall RB1 unless they catch passes. Now, I'm not saying he has to be the overall RB1 to be fantasy viable, but we want that upside. It's easier for pass-catching running backs to produce RB1 seasons. Uh, we've seen it happen for running backs that are pure runners. I mean, Derrick Henry did it 
for two straight seasons and was going to do it for a third if he didn't get hurt. Uh, Walker's really fast. He ran a 4.3840 time. He's got a 96 percentile speed score. Coming out, he's only 21 years old. But I think I think he I think where he ends up is going to be very important. Like if Denver doesn't re-sign Melvin Gordon, for example, could maybe they draft Walker in the second or third round, put him behind Javante Williams, use him as just a two-down guy? It's possible. That would certainly limit his upside. Um, maybe the Bills, for example. The Bills have been linked to possibly drafting Brees Hall in the first round. I I don't think that's smart for them. I think they should take a more impact player. Uh, but they may not be sold on Devin Singletary. We know they're not sold on Zach Moss. Perhaps they just want somebody else. They don't want to give Singletary that 100% snap share that he had in their final playoff game last year. So so with, with Kenneth Walker, it depends on where he ends up. And if he lands somewhere that he can be that at least that two-down uh, grinder plus goal line work, yeah, maybe he can emerge into an RB2 sooner rather than later. Um, good call. I, I, you know, I misspoke just a moment ago because you mentioned Denver, and I thought, wait a second. Um, the uh, the simulator, when I went through it, it wasn't Minnesota. It was Denver uh, that uh, uh, where uh, they get Brees Hall on the assumption that Melvin Gordon, um, you know, on the assumption that Javante Williams are going to want to pair someone with him. Um, and uh, and they have uh, for Kenneth Walker, what I what I showed the simulator is they had uh, him going to Atlanta, uh, who you mentioned earlier and seems to be a, a team kind of like Carolina, but for different reasons that just needs so much help in so many key areas. Atlanta needs more help in more areas. Carolina arguably is a healthy Christian McCaffrey and a good quarterback away from competing, but that's a, a pretty heavy lift um, right now. Um, but I, I, I agree that I, one thing about Walker not catching a lot of balls, and it is important to note that, yeah, his totals, 19 receptions, is less than both Spiller and Hall had in any of their seasons. So in all six of combined seasons for Spiller and Hall in college, they had 20 plus receptions and combined Walker in three seasons had only 19, which says a lot. And yet there is still, you know, that, that notion that these running backs, especially at this age, maybe you don't get the kind of volume in the passing game in uh, you know, year one, but you could see in a dynasty where Walker develops into that complete back because it's kind of a survival of the fittest when it comes to being a top of depth chart. And unless you're a Derrick Henry, like you're saying, Katz, you need to have that ability to block as a running back. You need to have the ability to block and then pivot out and catch the ball. Um, you need the versatility of, of doing a lot more than what a lot of these college players are expected to do um, at the junior level. And so when you reach the pros, the expectation that I would have is that if Kenneth Walker is drafted to be someone, you know, team's bell cow, then there will be some pressure on him and perhaps on the team to try to make him more than just, uh, you know, a guy who's getting 250 carries and seven receptions. I, I'm wondering if those days, uh, and actually some of the data I've pulled up have shown that those days are gradually leaving us behind. There's fewer Derrick Henrys out there now than there used to be. And there's a lot more of those, you know, 30 to 40 reception uh, bell cow backs. Um, uh, Katz, who else, is there another name out there that you want to throw out? If not, I can throw out another name. Um, uh, you know, is, is James Cook uh, someone that that jumps out at you as someone that, that you would, you know, would be intriguing on a team or is there someone else you want to talk about? Uh, James Cook was the guy that I was going to look at next because I think, actually behind Brees Hall 
Cook is the one that I'm most confident in will have a role in the NFL long term. Again, not saying that all these guys are going to fail, just that Cook's prospect profile is such that he's, he's, go, he's going to be useful because of his ability as a receiver. He's actually not all that similar to his brother, Dalvin Cook. Uh, James Cook ran a 4.4240 yard dash, which is tremendous. He's a little older prospect, but I mean, that doesn't preclude him from being a success at the NFL level. It's more that he just started late. I mean, his first year at Georgia in 2019, he was 20 years old already. So he's got a little bit of a late start. Uh, Najee Harris was 23 last year, so it, it, it can still happen for these older guys to produce. Uh, but James Cook with an 8.2% college target share, uh, that's what has me most encouraged. He caught 27 passes in his final year at Georgia. I think that no matter where he ends up, he's going to have a role and possibly one immediately. I'm hoping that he can go in the second or th- more likely the third round. Uh, if he goes in day three, again, that's, that's pretty much a death sentence for, for most running backs. Uh, but if he can go in the third round, there are several teams out there that definitely need that type of satellite back. Uh, we mentioned Atlanta already um, with, with Cordero Patterson and Mike Davis. Um, they're ready to move on from Mike Davis. And even if it's not this year, it'll be next year. They could use a satellite back. Arizona is somebody who I think is very intriguing for James yeah. Cook because yeah. they yeah they just lost Chase Edmonds. That's all their receiving back work. Uh, James Conner, he can do it, but we've seen James Conner doesn't work as a three-down back because he can't physically hold up. And I think they yep. know that. I mean, last yeah. year... Right after Chase Evans went down, Connor three down back right away. What happened? Boom, hurt his ankle. It just, it was like clockwork. The guy just can't, you can't give James Connor, especially not 27 years old, 350 touches. It's not yeah. going to work. So maybe that's too play. much in him to, to, and it sounds ironic, but it, they've invested too much in him to afford another, you know, like, you know, going 250. Uh, touches or whatever, 275 touches and see him fall apart. They need him for the next two to three years. They can't just uh, throw him to the wolves all at once. He He's not going to be able to, at 27 years old, I agree with you completely. The Cardinals need someone else to be able to step in. It's probably not Eno Benjamin. It's definitely not Eno Benjamin. I don't want, I, I'm so sick of hearing uh, like Dennessy Twitter prop up these guys that go in the seventh, sixth and seventh round. Like, I'm sorry, but your sixth and seventh round picks, they're not going to matter ever it's just not and you know you know benjamin he could not get on the field when james connor and chase Edmonds got hurt last year it's never gonna happen yeah uh, i think with james cook so sorry go ahead no no i was gonna say i think the bucks are an intriguing one i mean Keyshawn vaughn there might be a little more investment in him because he's been biding his time for two seasons i think he was a third round pick um uh giovanni bernard is probably all but done i mean he's still only 30 which blew my mind when i saw that earlier today i'm like wow Gio bernard is only 30. That's old um, for a running back, though. That it is, but it's at the same time, he's been a name for a decade. And I just feel like Gio Bernard should be older at this point. Um, but uh, but it seems like the Bucks, I don't know if you can trust that Fournette is going to get through 17 full games, uh, plus potentially three playoff games. Uh, I think that's asking a lot right now. Um very good point. It, and we saw what happens last year when Fournette goes down and they don't have a competent backup. That's right. And so the question for me is if the Bucks go with someone, even if it's day three, it suggests to me that they are not confident that Vaughn can be the guy if Fournette goes down, which then suggests that Vaughn might, it's probably never going to be the guy in Tampa Bay at this point. If they don't draft someone, then it suggests to me that Vaughn is now valued where I'd like him to be, which is as the true bell cow. Uh, and that's, the, you know, those are the kind of things we play with when we talk about teams drafting. You wouldn't think the Bucks need a running back, 
But if they do or don't, it says everything about how they view the capability of not just their starter, but their backup. Um, there I have are a one lot thing of spots that, here. Oh, go ahead, Katz, and then I yeah. want to jump in with something else, but you go ahead. No, there are a lot of spots here where James Cook can land, land, and it both wouldn't torpedo the value of the starter, and it would allow James Cook an opportunity to, to carve out a role, possibly even as a rookie. And is there a final name you want to throw out there? Anyone else that you've looked at that you feel pretty strongly about? I know you root for every player, Cats. You remind us that on every podcast. You're a big fan of, of the NFL and college players. But now, is there someone that you like even more than the guys you already like? Okay, well, not that I like any more, but <laughs> one, one prospect that I do particularly like who I think is, I, I won't say he's going under the radar, but, but maybe in NFL circles he is, is Rashad White out of Arizona State. Uh, he's, he's already 23 years old, which is not, not the best, but again, not as important for running backs. Great, great workout measurables. Uh, 4.4840 time, upper percentile speed and burst. Um, and he was just, he was a receiver in college. This is, this is a player that caught 43 passes in 11 games in his senior season. His college uh, target share that season, 18.9%. I mean, this is, this is as good as it gets. The problem is, I'm afraid he's not going to go until day three, which puts him behind the eight ball in terms of carving out a role ever, let alone as a rookie. I do think he has the talent to be, I won't say a three down back, but he can be a satellite back plus the type of guy. I mean, I don't want to compare him to Austin Eckler because no one's Austin Eckler, but he could be in that role where Austin Eckler was viewed more as this pass catcher who could handle these carries when you needed him to. And as it turns out, he can be a three down back. They learned that later in his career. We could see something similar with Rashad White if things break right. I'd like to see him get the chance. I hope he does. He's somebody that I like. I probably like him more than the NFL does, which is unfortunate. But uh, you never know. Maybe maybe things work out in his favor, and, and I'm rooting for him. I'd love to do some research on late-blooming college running backs uh, and see how they do in the NFL. Because here's a guy who, going into his senior year, had a you know 42 carries and eight receptions, you know, in a, in a very brief college career before really breaking out as a senior and the guys he was running with, you've never uh, heard their names unless you're a fan of uh, the PAC 12 or Arizona state football, uh, you know, back in, in his junior year. So this is a guy who really came out of nowhere from, from a, from a casual observer perspective to suddenly be a guy that, that people are buzzing about for good reason. And you're right. Those 43 receptions, we can't ignore them. My big question is, with that limited track record, what are you getting? Are you getting someone who then takes that and takes it to the next level in the NFL, or is this was a was he a uh, you know benefiting from circumstances that cannot be replicated in the NFL? And that's always the question that these GMs and their staff have to make. One thing I want to throw out there too for those listening, just to you know, we don't want to get caught up in the motion about players. And I don't care how many times, and I talked about this on podcast on uh, Thursday or Friday, I think, just the idea we, we see a player and we think, oh, we see that player and we see what they do. And we fall in love with what they do. And we have to remind ourselves that, you know, there's, there's uh, scouts out there who are also seeing the same things and more. And they're sometimes passing on these players or sometimes they're reaching for these players. And I just want to uh, mention two drafts, 2017 and 2018, because I pulled them both up because I just wanted to see. It was a random sample. I, I thought I knew and I wanted to just see what it looked like. And looking at the running backs in 2017, first round, first eight picks, you had Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey going off the board. 
And then in the second round, Dalvin Cook and Joe Mixon. In round three, Alvin Kamara. I mean, you talk at Kareem Hunt, you know, and then Dante Foreman, you know, late bloomer Dante Foreman, who finally got a chance. And then James Conner at the back end of the third round. Basically, every running back that was taken in those first three rounds hit. You could argue very comfortably that Dante Foreman did not hit. I would submit that Dante Foreman, the story of Foreman is not yet over um, and that he is still young enough to uh, have two or three very good seasons. But the other guys all hit very well when you consider the improbability of all of those guys hitting in the first three rounds. And then you look just one year later and you see a very different story. You see Saquon Barkley, you know, hurt by injuries, obviously. And then next up, Richard Penny in the first round, hurt by injuries. Sonny Michelle, uh, hurt by opportunity. Uh, and then Nick no, Chubb. Sonny, Sonny Michelle was hurt by not being that good. <laughs> I'll say hurt by opportunity, but, uh, but it could go either way. And then uh, Nick Chubb, Ronald Jones, Karen Johnson in the second round, uh, followed by uh, Darius Goose, uh, uh, which uh, uh, obviously had off the field um, uh, horribleness uh, that knocked him out. And then Royce Freeman uh, in the third round. So, you know, it's it, this is a case of of uh, a, a draft that didn't go according to plan. Same basic breakdown round by round of number of running backs taken but very different outcomes from these running backs, some due to injuries, some due to off the field issues, and some due to players just not adjusting. And I think it's really important for people to remember that as we're thinking about fantasy, both in dynasty and, you know, just coming out of this draft, what we want to do with these players in terms of how we want to value them. It's, it's apples to oranges sometimes from one season to the next. Sometimes these guys break out. No one thought except maybe the saints that Alvin Kamara could break out Certainly no one thought when Kamara was drafted behind Mark Ingram and Adrian Peterson as the third wheel, as a rookie third rounder, that he would be the lead guy by the end of that season, um, or at least the most effective. So we, there are always those surprises that come up. And the, if, you know, that's, Kath, getting back to you, that's where I'm fascinated by this research. What can we learn from the college, you know, not just the tape, but also their usage and what system they're going into and what would, what is the perfect combination for a player and what's the worst combination for a player. I'll give you the last word, Katz. It's a mouthful I'm throwing out there, but I wanted to throw it out there. I, I want to close it up with this. We can watch all the film we want. We can review all of the data. We can study all the metrics and we can create all these models that, that are predictive in terms of how players succeed. But we need to understand that these are still human beings and there's a an element that we can never measure, which is how these te- how these players mesh with their coaches, how what, what goes on in practice and behind the scenes. There are certain things we can just never know for sure. And sometimes that's where you get guys like Darius Geis, who were supposed to be really talented and just doesn't work out because of things that that were that, that were unrelated to football. And we, it's happened at, at every position. We've seen it before. I mean, going back a few years, Justin Blackman, one of the best prospects of the past decade. Yeah. Out of the NFL after like three, four years because it just he just couldn't figure it out behind the scenes. Yeah. Uh, so we, we we do our best to predict, but this is an inexact science, and just got to take got to take everything in stride and understand that that uh there's just certain things that are beyond our control. But we hope that uh, that we're doing our best possible uh, predictions in terms of how these guys will produce the NFL level. And again, check out, if you haven't yet, Pro Football Network's uh, Mock Draft Simulator. It is uh, anyone who enjoys kind of going through the process, whether you have a favorite team 
or you're in dynasty and you're trying to figure out uh, guys that you're hoping will land on certain teams. Um, there's a lot you can do as a, as a fake GM uh, with that simulator. Uh, in the meantime, thanks again to Jason Katz, better known as Katz, for always joining me. It's BJ Rudell, Pro Football Network. Find us and all of our stuff at profootballnetwork.com and social media, and we will see you tomorrow.